what it is, RJLA family. I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host on RadioJustice.org. And the real day-to-day happenings of urban living locally and worldwide. For you while staying safe at home, or masked on the bus, train, plane, or social distancing everywhere. Today on Conversation Piece, hear how to keep families safe, healthy, and happy with former Child Protective Services case manager, Avis Arkwright, who now trains agencies through a parenting program called Safe Care. But first, we have part one with one of Radio Justice's DJs, Dat Kid 179 dropping knowledge through his music and hip-hop experience from Newark, New Jersey, to New York City, to Los Angeles, and soon, Nigeria. Welcome to Conversation Peace. Thanks for having me. Truly appreciate it. I've I've been looking forward to this interview since I ran into you at the studio, at Radio Justice Studio, two weeks ago? Yeah, about two weeks. Two, two maybe three weeks now since we're in the new year. (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah, right. Everybody think we're just a week away. We're still in the new year. We're in 2021. (laughs) We're in 2021. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so Radio Justice Family Conversation Piece audience, that kid is one of our DJs at RadioJustice.org. The name of his show is Live from Zanzibar, which you can catch on Friday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Pacific time at RadioJustice.org. Man, so you're from New Jersey. Indeed. Born and raised. Born and raised. Yeah. Born and raised in Newark, New Jersey, to be exact. You know what I'm saying? In the heart of it all. You know, and then um, as I got older, I moved to New York. But everything started in New Jersey. You know, um, my DJ and everything, you know? How did your music journey start? <laughs> my mother would tell me when, when her water broke, she was at a, a bar and James Brown was playing. And they had to rush her to the hospital. And I came then. You know, but I heard James Brown playing. So I guess music was always with me, you know, because um, that's what I used to do as a kid coming up. I used to listen to the music of my aunts and my uncles and my cousins, how they used to play all the elders, you know, and I'm just observing, listening, not even paying attention, like, but I'm hearing devotion stuff from like the Isley Brothers and, you know, and, and it's, it's registering with me, but I'm not, you know, resonating just yet from a kid. But it wasn't until I got in my teens when my, um, my brother bought me some turntables. You know, when he bought the turntables for us. And then my other brother, because I have two brothers, my oldest brother bought the turntables, the one under him, he acquired the uh, remaining appendages, like the mixer, the preamp, the um, amplifier, speakers, records, you know what I'm saying? But being as he was older, and this is what I just recently learned about DJs, um, it was a different type of vibe for the DJs back then. Hip hop was not known about. So people wasn't trying to hear hip hop. People were still what you may call disco now or um, what they call on the East Coast um, classic music or um, house classics. 
is what they were playing back then. So that's what my brother would play. He would play house classics. And me hearing a little bit of Run DMC, I wanted to learn rap music. So, you know, I acquired my rap records that way and learning how to DJ just by um, going to the store, getting records. But it was a DJ that lived downstairs from me, you know, and he was a part of a group. And his group was um, one of the artists is Tretch from Naughty by Nature. His name was Tiny back then. So they used to practice, but I used to go by him to, he used to give me records, tell me go practice. When you finish with those, bring those back. He used to give me two pieces of vinyl and I had to master those two pieces during the week. And in the weekend, bring those back and he'll give me two more pieces. He ne- no one ever showed me what to do. It was just like, here, now go. Here, now go. So everything I learned, I had to learn to myself you know, on my own. You know, and even my older brother, with him being a mixologist, mixing classic club music and house music, when he went into the service, he left all of that music for me, but he never told me how to mix it. So I had to learn how to mix it, you know? So that's what I did when he was in the service, like around um, 87, 88, he went to the armed forces. And from then I, I will pick up the art of mixing house music, which is what, what I, I do with um, Life in Zanzibar. But at the same time, I was DJing at most of the clubs in New Jersey, like Club Zanzibar, Club 88, Scandals, um, you know, whatever club will have um, events for teens, teen night parties they used to have, you know, no alcohol served, you know, but just teen night parties. I was the I was the hip hop DJ. It was me, my friend Kevin Oliphant. He was a house DJ. And we had another brethren who played reggae. But my thing was hip hop. So that's how I came up in it, just playing right. Everybody knows me from hip hop, music, hip hop. Not too many people know me as a house DJ. You know, that's why I was shocked when Adam asked me to do a show titled um, Live from Zanzibar on the West Coast, because I didn't think the West Coast knew about house music. You know, just the East Coast thing, East Coast, Chicago, New York, you know, but Adam being from Chicago, you know, he loved it. So he was like, let's run with it, you know? So that's what Live, Live from Zanzibar is just that. It's my, my not paying homage to those days DJing at Club Zanzibar in New, New Jersey and Club 88 in East Orange, New Jersey. You know, that's my, my way of giving back and saying thank you for, you know, the stage. I had the platform, you know, it was days when, when the club were open, the stragglers would come in the, the beginning. You know, you may have like 100 people that may come in and you have people who come in at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, you have that wave of people, those are the real partiers. But the ones that come in the beginning, they will mile around on the bottom level of the club. And that's where I will live. That's that's my area, the, the bottom level. Once it gets two packed on the, on the first floor, everyone moves upstairs. And now the whole first floor is still my club. So people coming in, they see me, hear, hear me play, you know, they may stop, have a drink, sit in the, in the lounge area. But that was my area downstairs in Zanzibar, you know? And then when it was my turn to DJ upstairs, I would come upstairs, do my set for about a half hour, 45 minutes, and then come right back downstairs and finish DJing for the rest of the night downstairs. But Zanzibar was my home, you know? And this was in New Jersey? In Newark, New Jersey. A lot of people like Larry Levan and Timmy Regisbor and Tony Humphreys, like all the big DJ names of them days, this is, this is their house where they used to come and play on a weekend basis, you know, every weekend. So like, it was a point in time in Newark, New Jersey, where it was nothing but clubs, like Sensations and Club America, you know, and people used to come from everywhere, just to party downtown Newark. 
you know? So yeah, we was like right at the prime location at the prime time. And that's just like, again, DJing the clubs because it wasn't until like 94 when I kind of left the DJing alone for a bit to pick up the microphone. And that's where the name That Kid came from, you know? Because again, like when I was growing up as a DJ, I used to be the youngest one in, in most of the crews. Like um, when we would go to, say my brother, he's DJing a, a house party. And a house party is mainly um, seniors in high school or um, freshmen and in, in juniors in college. These are their homes. So they asking him to come DJ because he's known in that circuit. So he's allowing me to come in and play for 15 minutes. You know, that's all I got. If that much, you know, but 15 minutes of hip hop, man, it's like, okay, little man, I see you. Then get out the way and let the big man get back on the <laughs> You know, it was always a joke thing, but I was the kid. So there was always like, who was that kid over there? Like, I understand why y'all here. I see you got the speakers, you got the records, but why is that kid here? And they'd be like, oh, he wanted to DJ. Don't. And they'd be like, DJ? And they'd look at me again because, you know, I didn't have this little peach fuzz I got on me now. I was like bald face skin, you know, short haircut, you know, so I really looked like a kid. You know, even when I went to the club, they would like turn me away. Like, man, you too young. <laughs> you know, but in 94, that's when um, I created an organization or a crew or a family called No Name Society. And that came from um, when we was artists, it was MCs. It was a lot of people spilling our names. So if we create something, a week or two later, other people would be creating it or recreating it or trying to bite it. So we decided to not have a name. We don't, if we're going to do this, we're going to be anonymous. So we went with the name No Name Society. And then we all start grabbing names which were no names. So me being the kid, always who was that kid became that kid. And then my other brother, he became who that. And then my other brother became who knows. And then you got another brother named Nobody's Him and another person named Derry Go. And then two females named Who Is She and She Be Me. So it's like you have a name, but it's not a name. So that's my family on the East Coast which started in 94. You know, I'm the president of that organization. And that's what I work for now now here in California. I work, I do everything for No Name Society. You know what I'm saying? Under Radio Justice, under Inya City News, under Fresh Coast Live, under Calafia Zulus, under <laughs> Temple of Hip Hop. Everything is No Name Society. You know, and that's where that kid came from. The name that kid, like a dat machine. Because I was used to seeing dat machines all the time in the studio. So that kind of, I attracted to the dat machine. And then... Kid, you know, I'm not a goat, but kid is a coat or goat. So with two Ds, you're dealing with a human being, you're dealing with a person. With two Ds, like a Jason kid. I went with the two Ds as well as the 179 because as I was that kid, I had a lot of people coming up in the entertainment industry that started to use kid in their name or even that kid as their name. So to make myself different from those and make the ones who know me acknowledge is me and not them. 179 got added to my name. And that's from my studies with um, the 5% nations of God and earth on the East Coast. And those n numbers mean um, knowledge, one, seven is God, and nine is born. So it's basically knowledge, God, born. So that kid is like divinely Allah truth, king I destroy divinely. 179, knowledge, God, born. So the name is significant. It means a lot, even though it started as just like, you know, like I said, a joke. And who's that kid? But then as I grew in, in intellect and as I grew in doing what I was doing in the industry and just growing as a person, it became that kid 179 official. And, you know, that's it. As far as this entertainment goes, 
whenever you catch me on the wheels, behind the mic, you know, anything don't having to deal with entertainment is going to be that kid 179 handling. You know? I love the story behind the name. I, I didn't, I, I, actually, I should have known it was going to be a deep story. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing. Because it, that is, like I say, it's me. It, my name is me because of the travels I've been through. So that's why it, it, it's so significant. So when people hear, like, I'm not calling him that kid. You don't have to. Just call me kid then. You know, but it does mean something significant, you know, and it keeps me standing from the rest. Because all, all the rest are just emulators. Like I said, No Name Society was started in 94. So every kid that came after 94 is, is just an emulation. Or like I say, someone who may have come across me and my family in some way, form or fashion and liked it and adapted the name, you know. When you were talking about your older brothers. Yes. Getting you into, into the music. Yes. And then your neighbor, Tiny, better known as Trap. Well, actually, from... it was Kareem. The, the DJ's name is Kareem. But he had mm-hmm. a group of... Um, it was him and three artists. One of them name was Ogbox, he was a beatbox. One of them name was Ace, he was another rapper. And then it was Tiny. Tiny is Trek. That's who you know now. But back then, I knew him as Tiny. Actually, he's the same age rank as my older brothers. So they all was running around, you know, hanging together while I'm still a little kid running around playing with kids, you know. So, yeah, I kind of looked up to the DJ who was the DJ for his crew at that time. So his name is Kareem, you know, rest in peace. But he was the one who, if I was, if I was saying anyone taught me anything, I would say it was him. But he didn't really teach me as he just gave me pieces of vinyl and said, I'll see you next week. He never showed me what to do, grab the fader. He never showed me none of that stuff. Everything else I learned on my own. Come in, drop my books from school, go straight to the turntables till I get tired, drop that, go to the homework, straight from the homework, back to the turntables. And that was like every day. You know, every day that was day in, day out. And that's how I got to where I am now. To where I could like, like I practiced so hard at times, it was like in the dark. Lights out, I would blindfold myself only because the turntables have lights on them. So I didn't want to see the violin. I just wanted to feel the grooves and the music, how it plays in the grooves. So that's how hard I was learning how to mix. And that, that then was called turntablism. So I was learning how to scratch behind my back and clean my legs and spin around and all that stuff but in the dark. So that's how I got the, the, the ability to, to be able to just mix any kind of music, whether it's reggae, whether it's hip hop, whether it's soul, whether it's jazz, whether it's funk, I can mix it. You know, I could put, it, put a mix together, like a, at least a two hour mix, blended mix of these songs going back to back. No talking and screaming. Not telling you who the songs is, because I usually, I, I believe a track, a, a, a real mixtape will have a track list for you. So you can see each song as it plays. That I shouldn't have to scream to you, okay, now this is such and such song. All right, now we're about to hit you with such and such. No, I shouldn't have to do that. Every song is being planned. That's not my job. My job is to intrigue you and catch your attention with the sounds that you're hearing, make you groove, and then make you come to me and ask me, yo, who is that you just played? And then you'll run out to the record store tomorrow and purchase that art. See, that's my job as a DJ. What they have on the radio now, they just continuously plays a program rotation, plays the same thing every day. So when you hear the song for the first time, you're like, oh, this song is terrible. But after two weeks of hearing it like that, you're like, oh, this is my jam. It's because it's a programming. I'm totally against programming. I'm like an underground DJ where I go looking for the artist. 
if, th if this artist just just made the song yesterday, I'm looking to grab that artist and put it on my platform so that you'll know who this artist is. I feel I always felt that was the job of the DJ. Right. Yeah, because we the cons we we the consumers, the yeah. people who are in the cars, are listening to music on your devices, or in the clubs, yeah. Yeah. where we really don't know the work that goes in exactly. behind the DJ. We're just like, you just putting on stuff, but you got to have an ear yes. for the music. Yes, indeed. Like, as a, as a, and that's another thing about a DJ, like, most DJs think you just hook your equipment up and just play the songs that's popular, and that's not a DJ. No, that's not a DJ. A DJ is someone, again, who will play those songs? Okay, there's a DJ that's very famous on the East Coast named um, DJ um, Flowers, DJ Grandmaster Flowers. This was the DJ where Grandmaster Flash got his name from. His name was Grandmaster Flowers, but he knew how to pick the song. He knew how to, to break the songs that people don't know nothing about. So he was he was one of the DJs who first broke Soul Makusa in the United States. Nobody ever knew what Soul Makusa was. And to this DJ, DJ Flowers played it at one of his park games. You okay, know, wait a minute. I don't even know who that is. Who, 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 so, who, who, um, and, um, the, the DJ name is DJ Flowers. Okay, but the song is um, so Maku so Makusa. You remember that song, so Makusa, right? No. Hey, so Makusa. You know, so You know the song. When you hear, you be like, oh, I know this song. But it was a song that was broken by DJ. No other DJ in the United States played this song, but he played it at one of his jams, and and it started a, like a a fervor to the point where it was all about breaking the jams that no other DJ ever had. When you playing side A of the song that everybody know and heard from the radio, I'll be playing side B, the song that didn't make it to the radio, the song that's on the album that you may have to go and buy the album for. I'll be playing that song. So that's what DJ Flowers was. And by him doing that, he, he caused the fervor in New York where other DJs in other boroughs from Manhattan to the Bronx to Brooklyn, they're always trying to compete with his catalog, but nobody could compete with him. You understand? So that's what I always felt like the driver of DJ was, not just to keep the uh, crowd dancing, but to keep people like me, a DJ, intrigued the way that we get that song from. Where did he get that from? Who is that artist? You know, like always have me inquisitive when I leave your jam. You know, don't have me. Oh, I heard that song on the way here. Now I'm hearing it again. Now when I leave, I'm going to hear it. You know, so it becomes like a, a conditioning. So I deal with the uh, opposite side of that. I don't play anything the radio play. I break all artists that's never been heard before. And um, and that goes for the house music also, because new house music is made every day. For example, um, for the year of 2020, I collected nothing but music made in the year 2020. All house music from various artists from around the world. So when you hear my live from Zanzibar sets in 2021, it'd be all artists that dropped their projects in 2020, just for that year, not 2019. Not 2018. I didn't go back to 2017. I didn't go back to 94. I didn't go back. I'm taking everyone forward because people think as a job for a DJ that, okay, I give up. There is no good music out there. And I'm here to tell you there is. There's nothing but good music, but you have to search. You have to stop relying on those, what I call VJs. They're not DJs. They look, they look at videos and say, that's the song. And then they go buy the song. 
And that's not the DJ, that's the DJ, you know, video jockey. They go off what they see in the videos and what they hear other DJs play instead of doing their job, which is always breaking the new artists, always bringing something new to the table, constantly, never changing that frequency, always evolving, elevating, never to stagnate. You can't be you can't be the same. If you're a DJ and you sound like him, then he could do your job. She could do your job. But if you want to be a DJ who like you have these DJs like Black Coffee, and these are DJs that's relevant today. You can look them up on, on YouTube. Black Coffee, um, Little Louis Vega, um, Timmy Regisford. You know, you look these artists up and you see these guys are doing big jam, big sold out stadium parties worldwide and getting paid to you know to travel because they know how to pick the artists how to pick the tunes and then most of them become producers themselves where they're the engineers of some of these songs that's coming out so i always felt like that's what a, a dj's job is to evolve most djs become producers most producers become engineers and so on and so forth so even as a dj like growing up i used to sit and read the album covers constantly just to see who produced this record who executive produced who engineered it like um Okay, you ever heard the song Follow Me? Follow me, follow me. Doom, 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 doom. They play that all of all the parties. No, I don't know that one. I don't know it. If you again, it's one of them songs that if you heard it, you'd be like, I know this song. You just didn't know the name of it. And that's my thing. See, I know the name of the song. I know the name of the artist who made it, which is um Alyssa's. I know the engineers. Um, my one of my brethren is Kevin Oliphant. He was an engineer on the board of that song that made made it so big you know i remember when he first played it at club zanzibar in in new jersey for the first time and the crowd heard it for the first time he had to play it at least five times back to back that same night you know so it, it's, it's all about breaking those new tunes and and djs nowadays aren't breaking those new tunes they're they're playing with other people playing, you know they have lost their creative source they never had no or, or, never, or maybe never had it yeah with the marriage of hip-hop in the industry once that happened the industry decided a lot of what we were using to become artists they can eliminate that and then they created a new spectrum a new field it's a, it's a difference between rap and it's a difference between hip-hop hip-hop is something you live so to be able to live the elements like i live the life of a dj when i wake up i'm looking for new music you know what i'm saying all throughout the day i'm listening to music and I'm not just talking about like the, the same song. Somebody listen to an album, like this is my favorite album. Listen to that favorite album for the rest of their life. I listen to different artists every single. I could just name artists for you, and you'd be like, "No, I never heard that person. I never heard that person." You know, um, case example. Uh, eight years ago, I told my cousin, I said, um, "Have you ever heard this guy named Kendrick Lamar?" He was like, "Nah, never." I was like, "Please, you got to look this guy up. He had just dropped a song called on um, Rigor Mortis." You know, I say, you got to look this guy up, man. This guy is going to be the future of hip-hop, yo. And the guy I'm talking to on the East Coast, he's, um, you know, very Black power, you know, African echoes. He's my cousin, you know, and I always known him for being a straight, hardcore love of hip-hop. So if it's, if it's garbage, he's going to tell you this is trash. But if it's dope, he's going to be like, yo. So way back then, when I told him about Kendrick, he was like, okay, I'm going to listen. And he listened for him. And then... Maybe two, three years later, he started to get a buzz. Everybody started talking about him in America. My cousin screaming on the West Coast, on the East Coast. My cousin on the East Coast told me about this joke years ago. You know, because that's what I do. I look for new artists 
just so I could plug them into you so that you could be the first to say, oh, I've been knew about these guys like two or three years ago, you know, because that's how I look for artists. I'm looking for something that was made last week, you know what I'm saying? Yesterday, 18 hours ago. If it was just made 18 hours ago, I'm on it. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> I'm no joke. That's me. I'm always after the music. If it, ain't, if it ain't the music, it's the knowledge. If it ain't the knowledge, it's the music. So, right, right, and there, and you're that that underground, yes, DJ. So let me ask you this: uh -huh. How do you pick your mix point? And see, that's the thing. I don't. Everything I do is spontaneous. Even when I mix, I don't know what song I'm about to play next. I just grab a song and mix it because I'm not able to just mix anything with anything. You know, um, basically, if you hear all my mixes for the year of 2020 and 2021 coming up every Friday. Every mix, everyone you hear, I'm creating a list for right now. I'm making the list for them now because then I didn't have the time to because when I'm in the motions of it, I could do six hours with no problem. I could do eight hours of just mixing with no problem. I don't want to stop. I don't want to write nothing down. I just want to play. So that's what I have. I have two-hour mixes, you know what I'm saying, just great music, and it's all spontaneous. I don't know what I'm grabbing. I hear it in the headphones. It sound nice. We going with it. You know what I'm saying? If I like it, we going with it. If I think the crowd won't like it, we going with it. You know what I'm saying? Everything else is, is just experimental. I used to write a list, but every time I tried to go with that list, it wouldn't come out accordingly. And I would have to go back and keep trying to keep things on that. No, no more going on the list. The list is going on me now. So I go and the list got to come out. So when you when you go and do do a set or when you go into RJLA studio where mm -hmm. you are right now, yeah, where do you grab your music? Are you coming in with crates? Are you doing the digital thing? That was back in the day. See, I just transformed or just came into the digital love, but I don't love it as much as I love vinyl. I love vinyl. So on the East Coast, I have over eight, um, over 18 crates of records, big bin full of records, a bunch of 45s. My vinyl is there. I couldn't carry all that out here. So here I have a hard drive and I just download music. You know, we're in the future now. So I'm using like... um. Virtual DJ to mix on, virtual DJ or Serato, either one of those things, I could I could mix on those with my eyes closed because it's not as hard as DJing on two turntables and catching that sound and mixing with the cue and everything. You know, it's so much easier hitting the button, hitting the button, hitting the button. That's why I see all so many DJs now. It's just hitting the button. I can teach my daughters to do it. I can teach little kids how to be a DJ if you're just hitting the button, you know, doing a little scream, rah, rah, horn, and the next song come in, you're mixing. <laughs> you know, right? You know, we are we we are we're, we're running out of time. Okay, we're running out of time. But I want I want to get this question to our listening audience: Is that I hear that you're heading to Nigeria? Indeed. What's going to be happening there? Same thing is happening here. Um, we created a, an audio visual experience. It's called Fresh Coast Live Network. You're meeting pioneers who are in the music. You're hearing their longevity and how they did not compromise their integrity in their journey of pursuing music. Because we want people to know that you can do this and sustain your life, sustain yourself as an artist, as long as you're passionate about it. So with that, we created a platform for artists to be able to be presented, show themselves visually, and then through Radio Justice, we use that as an audio outlet for, them to, for those that need to hear it when they're riding and going to work who don't have time to look at it. So it's an audio-visual experience and we're taking this to Nigeria, Lagos to be specific. 
and we started um, a company called Tribe of Calapia. You understand? And this is where all this is going, the music and the visual aspects of everything that that kid 179 has been doing and building here in the Americas as long as I've been here, you know? So that's- Is this your first trip to Africa? This is my first trip. You know, my brother, he's been out there for the past four years. And he's calling me every week, like, yo, where you at? Where you at? We need you. Him and his wife, they're always calling me. And so I'm, I'm just waiting for my passport, which, which has been stolen. It, it should be coming any day now. As soon as it comes, I'm gone. You know, all this right here I'm doing with you and, and DJing, all this is just side fun stuff I'm doing just until that passport's in my hand. As soon as it's here, I'm gone. But this is keeping me busy. So I give thanks. I give thanks. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. And when, when you're in Africa, I hope that you will still be available. Oh yeah. For me to interview you. Look, a radio justice for light. That's what I'm telling you. Radio justice going with me. If I could start a radio justice in Lagos, where I'm just streaming your shows out there and y'all streaming my live from Zanzibar straight from Nigeria <laughs> over here. Let's do it. That's what I'm going out there to create, you know? Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. No problem at all, Queen. Anytime. Anytime. I'm going to hold you to that. Hey, look, if you want to do a part two, let's do it whenever you're ready. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Whenever we're going we're gonna to do, we're going to do a part two for sure. Whenever sure. you're ready. Live from Zanzibar with Dat Kid 179, Friday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Pacific time on radiojustice.org. Music for a better world, music for the people. I am Angela Birdsong, and you are listening to Conversation Piece on radiojustice.org. Next week on Conversation Piece. Part two with DJ Dat Kid 179. Welcome back to Conversation Peace on RadioJustice.org. I am your host, Angela Birdsong, and my next guest is Avis Arkwright of Safe Care. Welcome to Conversation Peace, Avis Arkwright. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay, so let me just let Conversation Peace family know, this is my cousin, not just my cousin, this is my first, first cousin. <laughs> Because we were born in the same year yeah. <laughs> on my mother's side. So just in case the bird songs are watching, <laughs> you know, no, even on the bird, on both sides, this is my first, first cousin. Yes. Bird yes. song side, arc right side, every side. In that song, we got the first. Yes. Yeah, we got the first. You work with a company called Safe Care or an mm -hmm. organization called, called Safe Care. And yeah. when we were talking a few weeks ago, 
I, I realize how important it is for my listening audience to know about this program and what you guys do. So what is safe care and why is it needed? Safe care in a nutshell is a parenting program. Um, we're in Atlanta, Georgia. We work at, we're at Georgia State University and it's a research project that's been ongoing since the 70s. It's important because we are here to help families to make sure that their children stay safe, healthy, and loved. You know, we've got, especially now in 2020, we've got so many things going on um, and things can get stressful with parents. So what our parenting program does is we try to encourage our parents by giving them tools that they can use whenever they need to, to help them to enhance their relationship they have with their children, particularly young children. Uh, we work on helping them to be aware of things in their homes that could be dangerous to their kids. And then we also work with them uh, uh, in health, you know, just giving them, uh, we have a wonderful health manual that we provide for them and just talking to them through scenarios so that they can know what to do when something happens to their kids. You know, kids are always getting sick or injured. What do you do when something happens? So we try to encourage them to, to get all of these tools so when stuff happens, they won't be caught off guard. They'll know what to do. Now, what, what are you guys teaching them? We have three modules that we work on consistently. I like it's a really good parenting program. We're not the only one, of course, in the U.S., but it's a really good one. And we only focus on three areas. We're going to focus on safety, safety inside the home. We want to target that area where the child spends most of their time. So we'll do in-home safety. We're going to talk about health um, and how to keep good health records, how to keep up with them, how to... Um, do you know the little things that can that we consider preventative we talk about those issues and then the biggest part of safe care where most of our research is is our parenting module we split that into two so we have one that focuses on infants and then we have another one that focuses on children who are older they can understand uh, instructions and they're walking around you know maybe like 18 months to about five years old what we focus on is um positive parenting interactions. So, you know, especially with so much going on with our kids, it's easy to fuss, yell, be angry, tell the kid when they're not doing anything or when they're doing something wrong. It's harder when you have a whole lot on your plate to take that extra time to give that kid the positives that they need. You know, can you put your cell phone down for a second? Can you not focus on what else is going on around the world and have that one-on-one -on -one contact with your kid so that that child feels loved? You know, they feel secure. They feel like, hey, mom, dad, grandma, whoever has my, is taking care of me. They've got my back. They really are vested in me and I'm important to them. We focus on that through six simple skills that we go over with them and it's repeated over and over again. It's not rocket science. We work on just a few little skills and we repeat it enough times so that the parents start seeing it in their sleep. And the more, they, the more they hear it, the more they see it, the more they practice it. We know that when we're out of their lives, hopefully for good, they can now draw back on this tool that we've given them to enhance that relationship as that child ages. So hopefully we'll have more productive kids in society, you know, when they reach 18 and beyond and they're ready to leave the house. We want to start it at ground zero. Well, what are, what are some of those skills that, that you train them on? Things like uh, before you do anything, prepare, you know, so don't go calling your kids for bath time and you haven't gotten everything ready. Um, 
prepare in advance is really important for a child because children, we, and we focus on children ages zero to five, children in this age group, even though they don't ask for it, they need consistency and they need it constantly. So if you are consistent with being prepared, I get everything I need ahead of time before I call the child for anything. And then when it's time for whatever that activity is, I can call them, I can explain to them what's gonna happen. That's another skill, explaining the activity. I can let them know the do's and the don'ts. Um, that's explaining and what will happen if you do or don't. We used to call it simple rules and consequences, which a lot of millennials don't like to hear, but they absolutely work, you know, and we, we give them those rules and consequences. We try to be more positive than negative, but we understand that sometimes the negatives are necessary. So we, we work with them at how they can implement that. Other skills that we stress are just the ability to talk with your child. Sometimes parents don't think there's a whole lot they can talk to a four-year-old about, you know, just do what I say. No, we're going to change that. We're going to help the parent to learn how to engage in a conversation with these little toddlers. Kids are little sponges. Even if they're not talking well, they, they internalize what you say. They can understand it before they actually say it. So we want the parent pumping that kid full of talk, talk, talk. Doesn't matter what you talk about. As long as it's positive, just talk to them. We uh, Another skill we work on is um, affectionate touching you know, because we know that touching is healing. If you have a kid and you never touch them gentle, you know, you never give them a hug, a kiss, a high five, whatever works for that child, they, it lessens their development. They need that touch for, for positive development, actually. Other skills would be follow through with what you say. You know, lots of times parents will say they're going to do something and then they never follow through. They don't do it. So what your child ends up learning is, I can't trust what my mom or my dad says. They're a liar. You know, that's a harsh word, but that's what the kid is saying in their head. You know, we all have had that moments. I know I have when I was younger, parent or grandparent or my caregiver, somebody would tell you to stop doing whatever. If you don't stop, I'm going to do this. Well, the kid already knows whether you mean that or not. So if they know that they can, that, they, that you really don't mean that because historically you said that so many times and you never follow through, well, then there, they, there is no incentive for them to change their behavior. They just keep doing what they want to do because they know the parent is not going to follow through. So we're really big on those little things. And we chop these skills down in, in little small segments and we get them, we, we model for them what it may look like. You know, so if you want your child to behave well during dinner time, let's go through some scenarios at what that might look like. So my providers will model for you, okay, you can implement these 10 skills this way so that dinner time can be less stressful. So they will pretend and they will do dinner time with the parent as the child or you know, some invisible little kid to show that parent how they can change dinner time effectively. After we model it, we always get the parent, okay, now it's your turn, they have to practice it. So, and that is really awkward for parents in the beginning. It works because hopefully that provider has established a good rapport with that family. We don't just jump in and start the parenting program. We try to build that rapport enough so that that family knows we're not just doing it because it's our job. We're doing it because we care about you. We want you to have good outcomes. Can you trust me enough to just give this new program a try? So the parent hopefully will become more comfortable with the practice. After they practice it enough, 
we will critique them. We have assessment forms and we're actually scoring them. We're watching them. We're seeing which skills they do really well. We're seeing which skills they need more help with. And then we start tweaking. So we work with them more on the skills where they're weaker until hopefully we've got 100%. They can do alternative skills with ease. You know, and then once we leave, if they remember these things and they keep practicing it, it, it changes their life. I know the first time when I used to work as a provider before I became a trainer, when I actually saw this implemented and the mom actually, she was, she, she was at her wit's end. She needed to do something different because her child was pretty much running the house. Once I got her to consistently practice, it took maybe three or four weeks and she started to see the change in her child. And we try to make sure parents understand we're, we wanna change what you do, the parent. Because if we change what you do and you consistently do that with your child, then they will see change in their child's behavior. Because the child is watching, listening, and learning. If, if my parent is gonna be consistent with this, then I may as well fall in line because they're not gonna change. So we're just asking them to practice enough to, and be consistent so that they can see change with their kid. It doesn't happen overnight, it's a process. But if they don't quit on it, it absolutely can change their whole family dynamics. How do you guys get your clients and what kind of families do you guys see? We safe care partners with social service agencies. So um, usually it's through the Department of Family and Children's Services. If they have families who they have identified may be at risk for child neglect and abuse, um, that family will be a good candidate for our program. We are funded by grants you know, and um, uh, we have other funding streams when that, mo that money usually comes in for those social service agencies. So if they want to use this particular parenting program, we will go and we train that agency. Then that agency, the providers that are trained, they will partner with that DFACS agency and whatever county they're located in. And when that caseworker identifies, well, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, um, seem like they would be good candidates for this program because we want to keep them out of defects. Or maybe something's happened and they have to put a parenting program in place to ensure that child safety or their health, whatever it is, then the uh, social service agency, whoever we've trained, they can now partner with that parent and begin the process. Okay, you use the acronym DFACS. Um, let our audience know what does that stand for? That is our Department of Family and Children's Services. So um, I'm not sure how it works in California, but any family that has had some type of report because you know of health issues or safety issues, or maybe it's just some type of parenting interaction issues. Um, whenever those calls come to Department of Family and Children's Services, if they get a case or they are afraid they may get a case for a particular family, then they will reach out to that social service agency who's been trained in this parenting program. Then the connection is made. Um, then the provider begins working with that family. My job in Atlanta is to make sure that the program is being taught effectively and efficiently. It's always audio recorded because I can't be, of course, in California. So when they go to see their clients, they are audio recording the session. We have a lesson plan that we always have to go by. Everything is structured and laid out. So every time they visit that family, when they are doing one of the lesson plans, I'm listening to make sure that they are first giving all of the information that they're supposed to. This is a, an evidence-based research project and it's ongoing. So we know that it works if it's done the right way. So what 
sometimes what happen is a provider may go and they will try to do it their way. That's not been researched. Only our specific program has been researched. So my job as the fidelity coach is I'm gonna to listen to the session that's been given to make sure that they're providing that family with all of the information. And then secondly, but more importantly, to make sure that they are effective in their delivery. Because if you're just reading the script and you're just uh, you know saying what's on that paper, you may pass 100% with given the correct information, but if you haven't done it well, you're not going to be effective. So we look, we're looking for both of those aspects. Basically, the, the provider needs to be engaging with the family. Yes, absolutely. Right. Okay. And, and not so robotic. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be robotic because it is, it's a script. It's very scripted. And there are parts in there where you can just read. And when they're trying to, and they have to be certified to do this. So in the beginning, we do encourage them to just read it so that they can pass fidelity. But that, and that's why it's important for them to build that rapport with that family so that the family understands, well, the reason that they're reading this in the beginning is because they, they need to be certified and they're learning the material also. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you are with it, then you can start um, putting it in your own words, but even as you put it in your own words, it has to say what we want it to say, or you mess up the fidelity. You know, we kind of get them to let their family knows that because this is an evidence-based program, I may be reading a lot of this from this lesson plan, but then I'll go back and put it in my own words so that now they can engage the family and talk to them and find out first what that family already knows, you know, so that you know where you need to help them and then you, you, you put your, your piece on there as a provider to help uh, them to get to 100%. And just so that the listening audience know, this is a national and international program. Although you guys yeah. are housed in Atlanta, Georgia, you guys have satellite programs throughout the United States and in some other countries. Yes, we are all over the US. And I know we've done this in seven countries already. Yeah, so not every state has trainers, but every state usually has like their coaches so that they can check that fidelity. Because as long as you do this, you have to have oversight. That's the only way that we know it's gonna work because we have to keep up with um, what our providers are teaching. So there's, there's the provider level, there's the coach level, and then there's the trainer level. And you guys keep continuous Contact. It never ends. Yeah, it never ends. So that's job security. <laughs> it's like, we're, <laughs> we're going to always do this until I mean, safe care is here to stay. Yeah. What is some of the common mistakes that you guys see parents make when you guys are observing, when your, your coaches or your trainers or providers are, are observing the, the household? Common mistakes with the families or common mistakes with the providers? With the families. With the families. We see, well, if we're talking about interaction skills, um, you'll be surprised at the number of families who don't really know what play is for their kids. They don't really play with their children. You know, they may put them down with a computer game or send them somewhere to do something or have them play with other siblings, but they're very uncomfortable when it comes to playing with my kid. Well, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure how to interact. Um, another one is I talked earlier about practicing. So when they are practicing, parents tend to want to tell you what they 
what they may do or what they usually do instead of acting it out. We don't want them telling us anything. With safe care, we have to see it in action. So we, when we're teaching the parenting module, we always need to have that child there because we want that parent to actually engage with the child. That's how the provider learns what the parent is doing really well or what they're not doing well. So it can't be, okay, Angie, so the first thing I do is A, B, C, D, E. No, we don't want you to tell me, we want you to show me. So it's like we tell them to put on their actor's hat and they've got to actually do it. That can take a little practice for them getting comfortable enough to actually um, show us what things look like with the kid instead of explaining to us what things look like. With safety, a lot of things that we commonly see is unrealistic expectations. That's a really big one. Parents think that because they tell their child, don't touch this, don't go there, that that child is going to always comply, but they don't understand when you're dealing with children in our age group zero to five, they were created to be inquisitive. That's how they learn. It doesn't matter if you've told them, stop, don't do something, that they're so inquisitive, it's gonna get the best of them. So when you're not looking, and sometimes when you are looking, they are going to explore which is good, that's how they learn things, but sometimes that exploration can, can cause harm and danger. So parents will tend to leave things out and think nothing of it because I've told them not to touch that. That's not good enough. It only takes one time for a kid to be so inquisitive that they put the wrong thing in their mouth or they do the wrong thing. And now you got a, a child who's either severely injured or that child dies. And with health, I think the biggest thing we see is a lot of parents overutilize the ER for things that they can probably take care at home or they may just need to call a doctor's office and get some advice for. So we try to, you know, give them tools so that they'll they'll know how to make the best decision. The the average age of the parents in your program, are they mostly young? Are they well, what is the age? Surprisingly, they are from extremely young to grandmother, grandparents. We have, yeah, we have all ranges. And it's because of, um, there's so many more caregivers now than there used to be. You know, we start out with the very young teenagers. Um, youngest I had has been 13 and a half to a grandmother, a great grandmother, actually. So, you know, in the olden days, we had uh, grandparents and parents who were always near that could guide and lead, especially our younger generation, to, to teach them these things. We don't have that as much anymore. Um, hence, safe care. Children don't come with a manual. Somebody's got to be there to help guide you and teach you and, and get you on the right track so that you, you know, can have a healthy life with your kid. So safe care has come into place and we try to take the place of what used to be the grandparents and the parents doing it. Right now, our biggest um, audience is Department of Family and Children's Services because these, these families have been identified. We're working now um, in Atlanta at trying to get this more on the preventative side. So we have a hospital that uh, some, a few hospitals that we're starting to work with because we want to, you know, be able to get this with our new, our mommies who are having those newborn babies and they haven't been released to the hospital yet. What do they know about parenting? Can we come in and give them some lessons before they go or connect with them as soon as they get home? We're piloting a project where we will, and because of COVID, we'll be doing it via Zoom. Um, we're going to work with these parents for like six to eight weeks 
and give them this information with those newborn babies so that they'll be set to succeed, you know? So yeah, it, it, it's all over. The, it ranges from the youngest to the oldest. And we are trying to get more preventative now, as well as um, helping parents who are already at risk to not get into the system again. What can parents do during the pandemic? They have a full house to, mm. to stay engaged. What has been some of the challenges that you guys have faced? Or what are some of the tips that you guys, you can give right now to, to the listening audience? For a longer list of tips, I am going to say they can look at safecare.org because I know we do have some, some information on there regarding the pandemic and how to keep yourself sane. Uh, for this little segment, I'm going to say, realize that they are human. <laughs> you know, realize that you're human, love on your kids, do your best to keep them safe, check your house out every day for th dangerous things and remove them and do your best to make sure that they are healthy. And that means keep a thermometer that's working well so you can take their temperature, especially now with the pandemic and do not be afraid to call your nurse's hotline or your doctor for advice. Advi calling for advice is never wrong. So if they can do those three things, stay engaged, make sure your house is safe, make sure you have a hotline to call. And the last thing would be take deep breaths. They gotta learn how to take a, take a, a moment for themselves. If that means go to a corner or call somebody to help, do whatever you need to do, take deep breaths just to relax and re-engage so that you don't explode and something happens to your kid. If someone wants to connect with Safe Care or partner with you guys in need of your services, what's the process? Right now, it's just, they can go to the safecare.org website. And unfortunately, if they're not attached to a social service agency, it will be more difficult. We do provide services for private agencies and there's a cost for that. You can, the information that you would need to connect with is also on the site. Other than that, they can shoot me an email. You know, if I can connect them to services in the area, I'll do my best to do that. Or I'll try to uh, connect them with someone else. Um, we have a, a great research center and lots of people there who may know other avenues that they may be able to get the help they need. Okay, you guys, the website is safecare.org. Go yes. there, get the information. Yeah. Okay, well, cousin, <laughs> this has this has this has been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for for the work that that you do. And just to to give a a, a little bit of a background on Avis Arkwright, she is a former child protective services case manager. And I'm assuming that was with DFACS? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. So so she she came from came from the other side and yeah. now with this with the training side where providing the tools and resources so that case manager caseload can decrease. Yes, that's the goal. Yeah. That's the goal. Right. Yep. To get to keep our to keep our families safe. And happy, well, happy families. All right, safe and happy. Yeah. Right. Avis Arkwright, thank you for being on Conversation Peace. Thank you. Well, for crisis intervention, information, referrals to thousands of emergency social service and support resources, or to report child abuse or neglect, call or text the Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline at one 800 422-4453.
24 hours a day, seven days a week, and over 170 languages. Thank you to Avis Arkwright of Safe Care and Radio Justice DJ That Kid 179. More conversation piece with Kid 179 next week. Thank you to Leslie Radford, Adam Rice, Nicole Johnson, Michael Washington of M Wash Soul for the opening and closing theme song. And always you, our RJLA family. Reach us on Radio Justice Facebook. Give us some love. Give us some likes as you listen to us worldwide anytime on radiojustice.org. I'm Angela Birdsong. Once again, thank you for allowing me to share this special experience of conversation piece on Radio Justice with you. Remember to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love. Already woke, spit a joke, barely spoke, barely smoke, stared at folks when properly provoked, mirror broke, hair share a strawberry morning, corn and more important spawning, torn in, poor men sworn in, corners hens switching, positions, auditioning, morticians, sword in a vision, ignoring prison, ignoramuses and listing, sound dumb, found them, drowned in cows dung, crowns flung, rings a tinker bell, sing for things as frail as a fingernail, bring a scale, stale ginger lingers, Seven figures in vigor, nigga, fresh from out the jail, alpha male, sickest ninja, injury this century, enterplea, lend sympathy to limpers, simple salmon, ramen MCs, trees is free, please leave a key, these meager fleas, he's the breeze and she's the bees, knees for she's. G's of G's, seize property, shopper sprees, chop the cheese, drop the grease to stop diseases, G whiz park, doom rock grandma like the kumbaya. Mama was a whole hopper, Papa was a Rolling Stone star Like Obama, pull a car like old drama Civil liberties, these little titties Abilities riddle me, middle C <laughs> Give a MC a rectal hysterectomy Lecture on removal of the bowels, foul technically Don't expect to see the recipe Until we receive the check as well as the collection fee More erect than section Z, what you expect to get for free Shit for me, history The key, plucked it off the mayor Chucked it in the old tar pit off La Brea, player. They say he's gone too far. Duma, catch him after Juma on cue. Laka! Do what you gotta do. Grah! The rumors are not true. Got you, ma. No prob. Got the job. Hot bard, heart throb. Scotch guard, the barber, cotton swab, dart lob. Baker, cake sweet. Jamaica trading treats on the beach. Make a skeet till the feet's meet. Can it be I stayed away too long? Did you miss these rhymes when I was gone? As you listen to these crazy tracks Check them stats, then you know where I'm at And that's that Look, they're doomed now! I followed him to the studio, but I was too late to stop him That's right! You'll never stop me! You're dead! You're not dead!